The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, quit polishing your device and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 327 with guest John Goodyear, recorded live Tuesday, March 18, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, providing the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who'd really like to send the finalizer to his mother-in-law's house, Carl Franklin. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's Carl and Richard here to bring you some .NET Rocks happiness. Richard Campbell, how are you, man? I am well, sir. How are you? I couldn't be better. If I was any happier, I'd have to clone myself. Very nice. I don't even know what that means. And all recovered from your weekend? Yeah. No, I had I had a good time. Had fun. We, uh, of course, uh, I'm not sure when this show is going to be published. March 25th? 25th. So last week, of course, uh, big St. Patrick's Day bash here in New London. Uh, New London's weird. You know, it's a, it's a small town. And it really is a town that looks like a city, but there are really only like a few blocks of city that you would think of as a city. Very old New England, a lot of churches, a lot of brick buildings and stuff like that, turn of the century stuff, and uh, a lot of ship captains' houses and things like that. And so it's very small, and uh, but they know how to throw a party. And this was the first year that they did an Irish parade in New London. And it turned out to be huge. Like, uh, you know, not a lot of people showed up, but in terms of the parade itself, big, 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 big. Nobody showed up because they were all in the parade. I'm not going to say nobody showed up, but it was the first one, right? So, I mean, it wasn't jam-packed, but it it was enough people to make it a good party. And one of the best features of it is that Chester's Barbecue was doing smoked corned beef and Same guys who did your, uh, your birthday. Yeah, the pig roast. Uh, there's nothing in this world. Go to your barbecue place and ask them to do a brisket, corned beef style. Nice. Like, smoke it. it. There's nothing better in this world. Okay, enough about that. Let's get on to Better Know Framework. All right, sir, what do you got for me today? This is turning out to be one of the more popular uh, aspects of .NET Rocks. I totally agree. It's been a lot of fun to listen to, too. Yeah. 
I'm really glad I paid that consultant five bucks for the idea. <laughs> so today's uh, class is in interface, and it's in system.configuration. And it's the iPersist component settings interface. And this defines standard functionality for controls or libraries that store and retrieve application settings. And the remarks are as follows. Typically, you can add application settings support to an application by creating a settings wrapper class, which is derived from application settings base, and then add special properties to this class. However, this approach does not sufficiently encapsulate application settings for a control so that its container is shielded from the details. The okay. iPersist component settings interface provides an application with a standard interface for communicating application settings state change requests to a control, component, or library module. Design time tools also depend on this interface to properly manage controls and components. So there you go. Read all Excellent. about it in your local uh, documentation or the online MSDN documentation. So, Richard, what you got for me? Got a nice, quick email here for you. Dear Carl and Richard, guys, fantastic show with Stephen Forte on remote teams, and even more intriguing, Scrum. Yeah. About three years ago, I was working on a high-visibility project with a highly distributed team. Ultimately, that project failed because of constant thrashing and a lack of focus and defined roles. I could have used Stephen's passion and insight on Scrum back then. Until your show, I had heard of Scrum but never looked too much into it. As Stephen described scenarios, basic Scrum methodology and pitfalls of traditional software development life cycles, I found myself yelling at the windshield, yes, yes, as I was flying down the <laughs> I-684 to work. And yeah, I'm from the lower New York area. Why do I have a vision of when Harry met Sally on that? Yeah, the lower, the lower New York State area is above New York City, and it's in the southwestern Connecticut corner. <laughs> yeah. So now I am sold. I picked up Agile Software Development with Scrum by Schwaber and Beetle and have started reading. I hope to apply the practice to both personal and professional projects. Keep up the good work. Here's to more shows in the future discussing software development processes. Peter Meyer, Poughkeepsie, New York. Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. I got it right. I was looking at it because it That's looks it. like Poughkeepsie, yep. but it's Poughkeepsie. All those great Native American names in New England. Good stuff, like Schenectady. Yes, that's a good word. Schenectady. Sounds like a... God bless you. Schenectady. Yes. Gesundheit. And so, with that, let's introduce Jonathan Goodyear. He's, of course, uh, uh, president of ASP Soft Incorporated. He's been working with .NET since before it was made available to the general public. He's a contributing editor for both Visual Studio Magazine and ASP.NET Pro Magazine, and frequently speaks at major technology conferences such as VS Live uh, ASP.NET Connections, and .NET user groups through the INETA, through the International .NET Association. Jonathan wrote one of the first books about .NET development, Debugging ASP.NET by New Writers Publishing, and appeared in a video, Visual Studio.NET, an introduction by WatchIt.com, or WatchIT.com. More recently, he was co-author of ASP.NET 2.0 MVP Hacks by Rocks Press, John has been uh, awarded the most valuable professional status by Microsoft and is also a Microsoft regional director and a heck of a good guy. Welcome, Jonathan Goodyear. Hey, how are you doing? We're doing great. It's about time you were on our damn show, man. Yeah, what's up with yeah, that? I, know, I think you guys have been trying for about three years to get me on the show. Yeah. I, I'm going to credit myself with that. I think I only had to spend about two months getting you locked down. <laughs> 
Pretty good, pretty good. Now you're in Central Florida, right? I am indeed, Orlando. Yeah. Uh, Richard loves Orlando, by the way. Uh, come on. He loves it, loves the, lo- especially Disney. He's such a fan of Disney. Okay. Well, you know, you're, just making, you're making fun of me. <laughs> With Orlando, you either love it or you hate it. There's really no in-between. Now, now, Richard, you have said disparaging things about Orlando, and I want to give you an opportunity to come clean and apologize that you did not mean the people of Orlando. Because well, we know lots of great people down there. There are fine people in Orlando. You've even introduced me to a few of them. Yep. And, uh, of course, most people are transitory there, too, so that makes it very right. challenging. And I would admit the conference center there is extraordinary. I think that's why Microsoft keeps going back. I think you just had enough of the mouse and the goofiness and the, the tourist thing. Right? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm pretty tourist-resistant. I'm the, I'm the guy who likes to go off exploring on his own. Yeah. But be that as it may, John, my first knowledge of you was an RD meeting oh, at TechEd where you brought out that robot. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. yes. The, the Windows-powered robot. It was unbelievable. John, you got to tell the story from the beginning. Because uh, this is a great well, story. Uh, <laughs> the, the beginning of the meeting or the beginning of the project? No, because, no, no. Uh, tell us about the robot and why you, you know, what, what, what it was all about, what it was for. Well, if you remember back when uh, .NET 1.1 was first coming out, uh, there was a little bit of a movement to get uh, .NET on embedded uh, embedded uh, processors, and there was a company called .NET CPU that came out, um, and uh, they had embedded a beta version of the .NET framework, uh, version 1.1, on this board. And so when I was reading about it, I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if we could build something out of this? Because one of the consultants that... Uh, works for me, uh, Brian Peek, who's uh, a Microsoft MVP and writes the uh, Coding for Fun column on uh, the Microsoft site. Uh, he does a lot of hardware integration, playing around. Uh, you know, he's the one who, he's the author of the Wiimote uh, library, which yeah. I don't know if you've talked about that at all, but we uh, have the author of that. But anyway, he said, oh, this would be a great idea. Let's control something. Let's, let's figure something out. I was watching Robot Wars on TV with my son, and we're like, oh, we've got to build a battle bot. That'll be a, sort of a neat project. And so I... Uh, uh, spun it to uh, Jen Ritzinger, and uh, she thought it was a and great Microsoft. idea, and decided to commission it. And we, uh, you know, went ahead with it. And it was it was interesting because we, you know, we thought we were going to build the whole thing ourselves. And so there's a like a surplus store, you know, surplus electronics store uh, around here called Skycraft. And so we went there and we bought an old, you know, those hover around uh, motorized wheelchairs. We bought one of those. Uh, I'm probably one of the only programmers that has his own arc welder. I bought an arc welder. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so we, we tore this thing apart, and we're, uh, uh, you know, putting it back together and, you know, bolting motors on it. And we came up with something that looked sort of like a Frankenstein tricycle. And uh, and at that point, uh, Jay Ritz calls me up and says, oh, by the way, we want to use this uh, battle bot up on stage during one of the keynotes at TechEd, which was uh, 2005. And so we started to freak out because, you know, this thing was fine and dandy for a pet project, but it really wasn't the caliber that you could really roll out on stage and, uh, during a keynote. Right. And so, of course, we agreed and told her everything was great and, you know, everything's progressing uh, right on schedule. And um, so we, we teamed up with a company uh, called uh, the Machine Lab out in uh, Los Angeles who does uh, robotics for, you know, police uh, bomb-disarming robots, and they do robots for Hollywood movies and things like that. And so they took pity on us and uh, pretty much took the rest of the money we had allocated for the project and built us 
a uh, uh, you know a, sort of a combat chassis with various weapons on it, and uh, all we had to do was snap in the .NET CPU. Now well, this thing had behold, like this thing had like a saw on an arm, right? <laughs> it did. It had a retractable arm with a saw on it, and it had an and it had an axe on right. it that it could. Uh, uh, it could, you know, had quite a bit of power. You know, we were splitting logs, you know, like two by four wow. with uh, in the garage with this thing. It was uh, Watch out. pretty powerful, and it had a big lifter arm underneath it. And uh, it's, uh, you know, we had a, a good time with it, but you know, we we started putting it together, and we ran into some trouble, and we called up the folks at .NET CPU, and they stopped taking our calls, and they folded up, you know, the doors, <laughs> and, and so it was gone. Go away. So, uh, it, you know, it really got stressful for us. We're like, all right, what do we do now? So we opted to uh, go ahead and use a, a PDA with a .NET Compact framework on it, and that proved to be a pretty good uh, option. We uh, found a, uh, like a serial port, uh, you know, a serial port interface for it through Compact Flash that was able to uh, uh, talk to the servo controller and the, and the uh, finalizer. And uh, Brian, who incidentally lives in Schenectady, uh, oh, when it, yes, he's a Schenectadian. Um, Schenectadyite. He, uh, yeah, he went ahead and uh, and uh, just purchased some spare parts from Radio Shack, one of those little tiny robot model kits that you can get, and he used that as his demo because they shipped the robot to me in Orlando, so he couldn't even he was you know so he was building the logic for this thing sight unseen, and so he uh, uh, you know builds this. And he comes down to uh, TechEd. Uh, I flew him down about two days early before the conference, and then he gives us the logic, and we plugged it into the thing. So little did you know, Jay Ritz know, but we actually plugged the logic for this thing into the robot. We loaded it up about two days before TechEd. Wow, so, man. Uh, yes, our huge amount of testing that we did. So, we, <laughs> so yeah, we, 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 you know, we threw it in there, and we got it working. And, and you know, believe it or not, only after a few modifications, it, you know, we got it to work. Now, now what you, you said you wanted to use it. She said she wanted to use it at TechEd, but you didn't really say what, what part of TechEd. Yeah, the part of, uh, that it was going to play was, uh, at the time, uh, you know, Microsoft wanted to do a demonstration of SQL Server failover and what happens when network connectivity is lost from one SQL Server, and they wanted to uh, do a swap over to a backup machine. And, and so we came up with a concept of the finalizer rolling out on stage and, you know, spinning around, showing off its weapons, and then going up to a router that was strategically placed on, uh, you know, on the floor, and or actually a switch actually was, and using its axe to chop a cable that was on top of the router and smash the router, <laughs> and, uh, and so thereby causing the failover. I mean, just in case, you know, just realistic scenarios, uh, Microsoft is famous for in their demos, but, uh, you know, so that was the idea, and we went through it. Well, in wait, the, wait, wait, wait. What I'm trying to get you to say is this was during Steve Ballmer's keynote, right? It was indeed. It was, it was uh, you know, Steve Ballmer was out there, and, uh, you right. know, there were several, you know, people out there, and, you know, we had, uh, um, was it, uh, Samantha B from, uh, uh, the Daily John show. Stewart, yeah, the Daily Show. Yeah. And, uh, it, it was, uh, it's a big deal. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty huge yeah. deal. You know, we were pretty excited. I was, uh, kind of, kind of freaked out about it, but, you know, we, we went to our, uh, uh, the, the the dress rehearsal the night before, and we were whacking the the, the the switch, and it wasn't causing any that much excitement. So they decided to get some guys to put some pyrotechnics underneath it cause, you know, <laughs> to, to give it some extra flair. And uh, you know, one of the toughest parts about it is I had to control this robot 
using a, we we had it rigged up so that an Xbox 360 uh, uh, controller was uh, the controller that we were using uh, hooked up to a laptop computer, and there was about 30 feet of dead space where you're completely blind when you were using this thing. And so if you went an extra five feet beyond where it needed to go, it would have gone off the stage and into, uh, into, uh, the, the, pl- into the press. So, actually, into the, into the plasma panels that they had. They were sort chop, of angled chop, up so you could check what your chop. slides were. Oh, no, I can't stop the chopper. So, yeah, well, the it, saw it, won't it, turn off. And so one of the things is, you know, we had a threshold thing saying, oh, if we lost signal to the robot, it would, it would shut off if it had been more than a couple of seconds. But then we were having some connectivity issues, which... Uh, you know, I'll talk about in a second, but, uh, you know, so we had to sort of, you know, amp that up to about five or six seconds. So really the, technically that robot could have gone on its own for five or six seconds before it actually shut down, okay. uh, so, due to, uh, due to, uh, connectivity issues. So the, tell the story about the RD meeting Richard brought up here. The day be- was day before the keynote, right? Yeah. So the day before the, uh, the actual keynote, uh, we had this idea, you know, since, uh, since the RD program had technically, uh, Put up about half of the money to uh, to put this uh, robot together. Uh, Jay Ritz goes, well, well, let's let's do this private showing for the for the RDs. And I said, oh, it's a great idea, great idea. So we brought it out there. And uh, one of the things that we had done is we had tested this thing in my garage. And in my garage, of course, there was only the Wi-Fi of the laptop and the PDA. Now, with all the RDs, they all brought their laptops. They spun them all up. And so at the time when we went to do the demo. The Wi-Fi spectrum was flooded, and <laughs> what ended up happening is the robot just malfunctioned completely and started twitching around and, and freaking out. And so, of course, uh, John Alexander, and probably one of the best uh, quotes uh, I've ever heard, uh, you know, spouts out with uh, the the Uncle Owen, Uncle Owen, this R2 unit's got a bad motivator, and it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was it was right as it happened, and of course, you know, it that was, was the best line. You know, Uncle it, Owen. It, it, if it wasn't happening to me, it probably would have been the funniest thing I ever heard in my life. But I was a little bit Because it wasn't happening to us, thing. and it was the funniest thing but we'd ever was, heard in our lives. It was lives. at the right moment. I mean, there was this silence, and then the dread just came over you. And then right there, boom, he was right there with that look. Oh, the, the timing was impeccable. And, uh, you know, it, but incidentally, you know, I've seen John probably five or six times since then. And he apologizes to me about that every time. I'm like, yeah, man, it was perfect, man. I would have you know, done, done the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. But we took, we took a break for lunch after that. And uh, over the lunch break, we secure, you know, we locked down the Wi-Fi and, you know, we bashed a whole bunch of things. And, and you know, because Jay Ritz was coming up to us and saying, are you sure this thing's going to work? <laughs> That's right. You know, you know we're going to be rolling this thing up on stage. It's one thing to fail in front of the IDs. Let's not but, go know, after this- Steve Ballmer with the saw. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we, we and of course we, you know, we really didn't tell them, uh, you know, the, the folks that were up on stage, uh, you know, that, that we had disabled some of the fail safes on it yeah. to get it to, to work. I would point but, out uh, the man is a billionaire. He can mess with your life in ways you can't imagine. <laughs> but we, Should you, you know, cut off a toe or something? He could move so, your house one foot back. <laughs> incidentally, we, uh, you know, the the, the finalizer, it's, it's it's resting place is uh, in my garage now, and I've got it in a uh, surface-to-air missile case that we uh, purchased from uh, the military supply store. And so uh, it's a little bit creepy, you know, because you've got this huge, gigantic uh, uh, missile case. But, uh, you know, it, it's sort of a fitting, uh, a fitting place for it to be. It's, it's very military Where did looking. you get a missile case from? 
there's a that, that Skycraft place. You know, they sell all kinds of surplus, and they had to, you know they had this big green metal case. And at the time, it wasn't just used to tech it; it was actually used at uh, two different. Um, Microsoft employee internal meetings. Uh, they they right. shipped it to the, uh, you know, I think it was the Visual Studio 2005 launch event. And mm. it was crisscrossing the country, and uh, we needed a, a protective case. And so I went to Skycraft, and they've got this huge green case out there. I said, what is that? They said, well, it's for a surface-to-air missile. And I'm like, hey, this is great. i got to <laughs> get me one of those. Yeah. So uh, we, we stuck it in there, and, you know, I had the custom foam interior, and you know, we, we really... Uh, uh, we sort of went crazy with it, and uh, it ended up. Uh, although, incidentally, uh, the military really doesn't care about uh, the size of any package that they send because they've got their own, uh, uh, you know, their own, uh, you know, they transport everything using their own planes. Right. And so we didn't realize that this this case was about six inches wider than a pallet and about four oh. inches longer than a pallet. Ah. Oh. The problem is, is that uh, the po- This is where I learned that the post office has. How much something actually weighs and how much how big it is, and it has like an inferred weight based on its dimensions. Right. If you try to ship something that's bigger than a pallet, they give it an inferred weight of how much it would it would weigh if it took up two pallets. Oh and man! So this wow. thing ended up uh, it went from costing five hundred dollars to ship it across the country to about thirteen or fourteen hundred dollars to ship it across the country. So, you know, John, you're going to have to dust off that device now with with .NET three point five shipping. I think. Somebody needs to write a provider for Link to Axe. <laughs> there you go. Link to Axe. There you go. Incidentally, if anybody wants to, to you know, check it out, if you go to www.finalizer.net, you know, we've still got, uh, you know, link to the video on there and some pictures of it. And so if anybody wants to check it out, uh, you, know, so you the, can... So uh, long the end of the story is the, de- the uh, keynote went off without a hitch. It did. It did. It was uh, fantastic, and it did. You know, three subsequent events without a problem. It, it decided. It, whenever it decided to malfunction, it was always uh, you know off the stage. But when it got up on the stage, it uh, went through a few harrowing moments. But we got it. We you know we pulled it off. Awesome. So you've been doing a lot of work with SMS about text messaging lately in .NET. Yes. Uh, you know, I wanted to. Uh, you know, ever since I you know seen so many kids and. Teenagers and adults and everyone using text messaging. I thought, you know, there's got to be a there's got to be a business surrounding that that extends further than voting for American Idol. I mean, there had to have been something that you know could be used as uh, as real software based around text messaging. Hmm. And so, the, at the time that I started, uh, you know, looking into this a couple of years ago, uh, you know, the canonical application for uh, using text messaging that wasn't anything simple was uh, was Twitter. I mean, well, it is simple, yeah. but at least it's software. It's not just uh, voting or, you know, buying ringtones and things like that. So at the time, you could go to Twitter.com, and, you know, of course, uh, it was uh, founded by uh, Biz Stone of Blogger fame. And uh, so I go to the, the Twitter site, and I'm like, I wonder what they're using for text messaging, because it's got to be costing them a fortune to be powering all these, uh, you know, all these people following everyone else uh, using Twitter. So the contact us page at the time actually had the cell phone number for Biz Stone. So uh, incidentally, so I called it up and uh, I asked him. I said, uh, "What are you using for your text messaging?" I said, "I'm not trying to copy what you're doing, but I'm building some software and I want to know what you're using to to power your text messaging." At which point he hung up on me. So uh, that was <laughs> <laughs> no, quite literally. I think I got I got five words out of him, or, or six words, and, and then uh, and then it was click. And so that, that that was my that's my Biz Stone story. But uh, anyway, I, I, he sort of left it to, up to me to do my own research, and so I did. 
And really, the way, uh, if you know about, uh, you know, email, you know, email, anybody can spam anybody else because even if you get caught with, uh, you know, the United States rules, you can always go and get some server over in the Ukraine or Russia or whatever and, right. and, and, and essentially run all of your spam through there. And there's not a whole lot you can do about it. But SMS is, you know, which is short message service. And it's a lot different because it's directly controlled by the carriers. And so if you abuse anything, they can shut you down. And it's all, um, you know, it's all heavily regulated, heavily controlled. And so you have to do, you have to negotiate individually with each one of the carriers. If you don't want to do that, you can go through what's called uh, an SMS gateway. And essentially what they do is you broker an agreement with the gateway, and then the gateway deals with each individual carrier and you communicate with the gateway when you're sending and receiving messages, and they, you know, go ahead and they've got a what's called a bind to each one of the major uh, uh, mobile carriers. What's the advantage of using a gateway if you can just do it yourself? Um, you mean pertaining to? Uh, um, I mean, the only way to send a text message is uh, well, it's the only way to send a commercial text message is using a gateway because if you do it uh, any other way, then uh, you know, then it's uh, against uh, regulation. Like, for and they'll instance, cut you off. if you, uh, if you, for instance, most of the major carriers have a uh, um, a way to send a text message through email. So, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, if you send a text message to your phone number at tmobile.net, it's for T-Mobile, and then there's singular, you know, AT&T is like, you know, the phone number at singularme.com, and then you've got Verizon, which is vtex.com. Mm-hmm. And so they've all got these numbers that you can go ahead and send a text message. The problem is, is that's only for personal use only, and you can't send any commercial. If you try to send commercial, then uh, they can uh, actually shut you down and fine you and do all kinds of other things. So why is it that a gateway lets you send commercial messages? Isn't that spam or or is it tightly controlled for your particular application and certain numbers? At that point, what you do is you get a short code. Now, a short code, if you... uh, uh, If you've ever watched uh, American Idol, I suppose, is the big thing everybody's familiar with, and they say, vote for this uh, singer, text... You know, text vote to you know five six three four or whatever in the, right. on AT and T network. That five six three four is uh, a uh, what's called a short code, and a short code can be equated to similar. It's very similar to a domain name in uh, huh. in the, the the parlance of a short message service. And every single the difference between a domain name and a short code, though is that with a domain name, if you register a domain name, then you know you set it up and everyone who goes to that Internet address in their browser goes to your website. With a short code, you have to negotiate with each individual carrier to ask them or get approval to have your short code work, work on that carrier. Wow. Which is, uh, yeah, it's sort of a pain. So we How many carriers are we talking about here, just to get a scope of the problem? Uh, well, there's, uh, there's, several, there's several big carriers, you know, such as T-Mobile, there's a sing well AT and T. There's Sprint, Nextel. There's Verizon. There's Altel. Uh, there's Virgin Mobile, Boost Mobile, Metro PCS. Uh, you know, there's, you know, the list goes on and on. You are can, you just uh, talking in the U.S. so far? Yeah, those are uh, just in the U.S. And of course, over in you know England, you've got Orange and you know uh, a bunch of other uh, uh, providers. Rogers and, of course, and worldwide, it, it gets to be a huge uh, issue. Now, if you want to send text messages to a uh, you know, a person, a, a foreigner who is in the United States, it's not so bad because most of the foreign carriers have uh, 
roaming agreements with a local carrier. So if you send it to their number, as long as they're in the United States, it'll forward it to them. But if you right. actually want to uh, send a text message to somebody who's, you know, at a, you know, a non-U.S. number while they're, you know, in their uh, country of origin, then of course you have to, uh, you have to negotiate that with the carriers over there, as well as get a separate uh, short code because the short codes are, are country specific as well. Right. So, uh, and are you talking about, when you talk about negotiating deals with these different carriers, you're talking about a rate for each message? It's not a rate because the rates are, are pretty, I would, I, I hate to use the word commoditized, uh, but you know, they're, they're, I guess because they're not exactly cheap, but I guess, you know, I guess the, the term commoditized means that it's pretty standard across the carriers. Right. But what the negotiation is, is that they have to agree that what you're trying to do with your short code is something that they agree with. Right. So they're really uh, assessing your business model and whether or not they want to tolerate it. Exactly. So what you do is, well, the first thing you do is you have to register your short code and you can go to usshortcodes.com and, uh, you know, and register a short code in the United States. And, you know, it's the same way with, with, you know, registering a domain name. You search for one, see if it's available and you can go. And incidentally, it's, it's still pretty, you know, wild west, you know, young time for, for, uh, short codes because you can actually click a link to look at every short code in existence, or at least every U.S. short code, there's only 500 of them registered. Wow. So, uh, yeah, this is it's still extremely brand new. And one of the things that's probably you know leading to that is not everybody can can do it because uh, you know it costs you know a minimum even to just get a random short code is uh, $500 a month. So uh, and you buy. So you better, you're not going to keep one around recreationally. That pretty much ends the squatting business right there. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's extremely mm. expensive. If you want one, uh, if you want a number like a vanity number, uh, then you're looking at a thousand dollars a month, and so that's uh, they're fairly pricey. And the random codes, of course, they give you ones with a lot of zeros in them because zeros don't have any letters associated with it on the keypad, and so you're right. pretty much locked out of doing anything vanity oriented with it. Do you know how to build Web 2.0 AJAX applications with Web 1.0 components? Right. You just can't. In order to have next-generation web apps, you need next-generation components. And that's exactly what our friends at Telerik have for you. Their upcoming product, codenamed Rad Controls Prometheus, is a huge pack of web controls built on top of Microsoft ASP.NET AJAX, which will add previously impossible performance and interactivity to your next project. Just listen to this. The new controls mirror the ASP.NET AJAX API, so development is straightforward. Client scripts are shared, so loading time is pretty much instant. And if you just set a couple of properties, you'll be able to automatically bind to web services for even more efficient operation. After all, the facts speak for themselves. The new RAD editor for ASP.NET AJAX loads up to four times faster than before. Similarly, RAD Grid handles thousands of records in mere milliseconds. But again, it's best to try for yourself. Visit Telerik.com slash ASP.NET AJAX and download a trial. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. It seems to me that, you know, this system is in place partly to, you know, to control it, but also, you know, to c prevent spamming because that that is obviously a concern that everybody has, that you have to pay for your text messages that you receive. And if you get a, you know, it's just like the whole fax problem, right? You have to pay for that. Um, but it's worse because they, they can add up. But yet, you know, while you're in, while I was in Las Vegas, you know, Two o'clock in the morning, I get this instant message from some number that's like, uh, are you awake? Call me. You know, it's like, 
<laughs> yeah, it, it, so the know, hookers it, are using it in Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, which is just the kind of message you might get from a friend who's wondering if you're in town. You know, and it's how did you know? How is that possible? Is it corruption? Is it how does that happen? Well, I've even sent an accidental text message. I actually sent a text message to my uh, my sister for her birthday, and I didn't realize she had changed her cell phone number. And so, some random person texted me back, it's like, "Who are you?" You know. But you know, <laughs> what I, you've you've received but, spam, though. I mean, I. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's uh, quite a problem, and if you get more than one, uh, you can the the company who sends it can be severely uh, fined. For instance, uh, Sprint charges uh, ten thousand dollars per incident. Wow. So, uh, yeah, they're not messing around at all. And, and just to be clear here. I know on my bill, I don't pay for incoming SMSs. I pay to send them. Really? Yes, and, and, and it's well, like some people 50 pay to receive, some send. pay to send. I, I pay, you know, 10 or $15 a month and get unlimited. Just well, because I, I have unlimited too, but I, the, but in, in uh, Verizon, I th- I'm not sure. But I know people who have to pay to receive text messages. Yeah, I mean, yeah. incidentally, speaking of the cost of sending and receiving, uh, uh, we did a little bit of math and uh, – you know, short SMS messages are the most expensive bandwidth in the world. Oh, yeah, because they're maximum 160 bytes. Yes, and so uh, just for instance, uh, if you were sending and receiving a $0.10 cents per message and wanted to send, for instance, an MP3, if you divide it up into 160-byte uh, increments <laughs> and sent it over, it would cost you $6,000 nice. to send a wow. single MP3 file uh, uh, through text messages. Unless you have Or unlimited. if you wanted to download <laughs> the entire contents of a medium-sized iPod, it would be approximately $30 million. So, uh, you know, it's definitely uh, uh, an expensive, uh, an expensive uh, bandwidth. So be and careful before you download your iPod via SMS, okay? This exactly. is all we're saying. Exactly. I mean, even for a uh, – and that's for a consumer at $0.10 cents a message. Now you're thinking, well, what about the guys, the gateway people, you know, the, the – uh, you know, the uh, – uh, you know, the people like me that are creating software and they're sending it, it's still, you know, you're still negotiating at one and a half to two cents a message. Now there's some maximums that you can reach in order to, uh, you know, to, to get uh, uh, much reduced rates. But even, you know, at the standard rates, it works out to about $125 a megabyte, you know, wow. or what, $125,000 a gig. And so it, it really is an expensive uh, protocol. And you're saying, well, is it costing the cell phone companies all kinds of money? It's not. So no. a little bit of background about uh, SMS is uh, SMS was not created to be uh, SMS. It's actually sent over what's called the control channel. Uh, now, if you have your mobile phone, you say when somebody makes a call to you, your phone you know, starts ringing because it knows that a, a number is coming in. That's because your phone is maintaining sort of a, a, a lightweight link to a, the nearest cell tower, and it maintains it over what's called the control channel. Hmm. Well, a few uh, you know, years ago, maybe I think it's been seven or eight years ago, some folks over at uh, Nokia said, well, we can actually use this for sort of an instant messaging type of application and send signals over. And so really when you're sending an SMS, you're just sending a 160-byte signal over, uh, you know, over this control channel, which costs the cell phone companies zero because you need to maintain that control channel uh, relationship anyway. Yeah, this is just added on to the standard chatter between a phone and the node. Yes. So essentially it's free to the mobile companies and they're charging, uh, you know, $125,000 a gig. Uh, wow. to, uh, to send the day. So it's, uh, Supply it's a demand. pretty amazing, uh, it, it's a, you've heard of printing money. I mean, this is printing money with no paper and no ink. Wow. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty, uh, uh pretty amazing. Well, that's uh, classic story of supply and demand. 
Yeah, they control and so, it. And, and incidentally, and that's where the 160 byte limitation comes from because people are like, well, why did they do that? And, well, it's because they essentially shoehorned this instant messaging capability into a protocol that really wasn't uh, designed for it. It just happened to be convenient that they could do it. What What is that protocol? Is it just the SMS protocol, or are you just talking about the yeah pro- just, the know, underlying the, the, whatever the control channel protocol is? I mean, right. it sends 160 byte packets back and forth between the cell tower and the mobile phone. It's like, well, well, it's actually a little bit more, but of course you have to have routing information. I wonder if it's like X modem, <laughs> you know, something <laughs> like that. So I mean, it's I mean, it, it, it's uh, similar. Uh, the control channel protocol is similar to what uh, ICMP does for the IP stack. So, okay. I mean, it's it's uh, you know transmitting routing, routing and error information and things That's like good. that, just to keep everything, uh, keep your phone in tune with what's going on with the tower. That's good. Now, now MMS messages are sent over you know the GPRS you know and standard data networks. So. It's still a uh, fairly minimal cost, but, you know, it's a, it's a tiny bit more well, than the SMS protocol. What is SMS and MMS? What are the differences there? What are they? SMS is uh, is actually three forms. There's uh, SMS, and then there's, uh, there's like, EMS, which is Enhanced Messaging uh, Service. Now, SMS is just text only. EMS is Enhanced Messaging, which means you can do things like uh, bold and italics, uh, ringtones, uh, things like that, a little bit of text formatting sort of an intermediary between SMS and MMS, which is multimedia, uh, you know, multimedia service. And that's Multimedia where... messaging service, sorry. And that's where you can send rich media like uh, audio, video, images, things like that. Now, there's been some contention that MMS really isn't going to go anywhere because it hasn't really taken on too much by now, and now phones are getting so smart that... You know, the feeling is that people are just going to switch directly to doing things through a browser. Yeah, that's what and I do. So, uh, and so the MMS uh, sort of fad is really sort of dead, whereas SMS, because it's just simple text, it's almost like email on your phone. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the feeling is that's still going uh, that's still going to be around for quite a while. I think everybody gets SMS and, and hence uses it, and it's one of the few sort of universal technologies across virtually any carrier, so... It's it's pretty compelling in that respect, and it's just like it's an instant messaging. That's how people use it. Exactly, exactly, and and it's uh you know from uh you know the concept of what happens is you know how do you get involved with this? I mentioned uh, you uh, register your short code, and you have to find a gateway, and there's several out there. I use a company called uh, Open Market. They used to be uh, called Simple Wire, but they were uh, purchased by. Open market, but there's several others like Clickatel, Celltrust, Easy Texting. If you look online, there's you know you know dozens to choose from in uh, both in the United States and abroad. Uh, you know the England is extremely big into uh, text messaging, so there's a lot of companies that are based over there. I decided to go with a domestic carrier. Uh, open market had a pretty good reputation, and so I stuck with them. And uh, what you have to do with them is you submit what's called a program summary, and the program summary is where you have to. Um, when you open up a program summary, the file it looks a lot like uh, a movie script because you have to uh, uh, essentially describe the conversation that's going to happen between uh, your customers and you as a service. And so it's a series of lines to say MO, meaning mobile mobile originated, which means it's coming from your customer, and MT, which is mobile terminated, meaning it's a message that you're sending to uh, uh, the, the handset. And you have to essentially document every interaction that you're going to have with them down to the last detail. And then you submit that, and the carriers then test your... Uh, they they essentially put your short code live for a limited whitelisted set of numbers, and then they test it out, make sure that it complies. And you have to have things like if they submit... Uh, 
uh, help. If they text help to your number, it has to come back with a phone number or a website or an email address, and there's certain regulations for what that has to be. If they uh, text quit or stop to the uh, short code, those are industry standard for uh, unsubscribe me immediately from everything associated with this number. Um, and those are things that you have to uh, comply with. And so there's, there's definitely a lot of standards that have been put into place across all the carriers to sort of minimize that spam. So if you get something and from a, a, a message from someone and you say, well, I don't know how I got subscribed to this, but I want off. If you uh, text back, stop or quit, uh, then you should get a message back saying that you've been uh, unsubscribed completely. So, so you uh, said that TM or MT is mobile terminated, MO is mobile originated. Correct. And what about... OM, that probably means that it just goes off into the ether, into eternity. Om. Yeah, nice. exactly. Exactly. Oh, I mean, there's, I you mean, like that, it, it, one of the things that, uh, <laughs> you know, that's also one of the, the things that you get by going through a gateway and using a short code is your messages that you send, um, through the gateway get, uh, essentially they get the premium treatment. Uh, they bounce to the front of the queue with, for, uh, sending, uh, the messages. For instance, uh, I mentioned before that uh, the uh, SMS is sent over the control protocol. Now, they obviously, the cell phone companies don't want the, uh, the spectrum to get flooded and uh, with all these text messages. And so what they do is they throttle it. So you could end up, uh, if you send it, that's why when you send a text message to somebody, sometimes they don't get it for, you know, an hour, a day. You know, sometimes it just gets caught somewhere and uh, and you just don't hear from it for a while. And there's it's, no guaranteed delivery either. I've had de- text messages that just disappeared into the ether. Yes, occasionally. Uh, and one of the things that uh, I've found out is uh, through working through Open Market is I get an email every time uh, one of the carriers is having a problem. You know, they're having a slowdown or, you know, something breaks. or And it's pretty scary, actually, to, uh, you know, if you see how many times uh, the, the text messaging the SMS uh, infrastructure breaks down, and uh, they'll say, you know, Verizon's having a problem, at and having a problem. You know, we'll, you know, we'll keep you apprised and let you know when it's back up and running. And so, even going through a gateway, there's still, you know, this this feeling of it's not really guaranteed. And so, the software that we were considering building, and which we're eventually going to build, you know, so I can't mention exactly what it is right now, but uh, it uh, had it relied on having extremely prompt, um, you know, uh, essentially the messages had to be delivered extremely quickly. And really, you know, the technology is not there yet. There's still too much breakdown in it. You really can't get that that guaranteed uh, delivery. Now, through the infrastructure, when you're sending uh, a text message, there's several ways that you can do that once you actually get everything set up. Uh, You can... You can get a ticket back, and uh, uh, that was my next question. How do you know that it was delivered? It, when you send a, a text message over, you know, the web service or however you send it, you get a response back that has a ticket ID on it, and then you can subsequently, uh, you know, ping the service and, and say, you know, whatever happened to this uh, uh, to this ticket ID. There's uh, two or a big problem with that, though, in that uh, you can only query that for up to three days, and after three days you can't query anymore. So if your message didn't get delivered for three days, which occasionally happens, scary as it seems, um, you know, then then you really have no indication of whether that message ever got uh, delivered. Some of the carriers, AT&T in particular, offers a service where they will uh, 
you know, it'll send you a message from the gateway back to your uh, uh, service letting you know when a uh, message was delivered, which is, is sort of neat, but not all the carriers support that yet. Is that how your phone knows to say message sent or the message could not be sent or, or is that just basic we completed the protocol? Yeah, that just, uh, that just means, hey, I, I, I delivered it to the other carrier and the other okay. carrier said I got it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it made it to the other person's phone. I got it. So, uh, which is, you know, unfortunate. But, uh, you know, in, in there, you know, there's a lot of, uh, both political and technical, you know, murky waters you have to, uh, to get through in order to get these things approved. For instance, uh, some companies like, uh, Virgin Mobile and believe it or not, uh, Verizon just, you know, they, took a look at our uh, program summary for five minutes and said, all right, this looks good, and they turned us on. Now, other carriers um, like uh, T-Mobile and AT&T, they had you know, this whole established process for analyzing your program and going through all the, the settings. And you know, We told them, we said, you know, let us know when you're about to do it. Let us know when you're about to do it, and we'll make sure everything's going and everything else. Well, they tested it without us knowing, and, of course, they failed us. And you know, if you fail twice, then you have to go back to the beginning of the queue. And the beginning of the queue means six to eight weeks. And so it's extremely stressful when you're going to get approved for these uh, uh, carrier thing, uh, you know, the mobile carriers, because they have extremely long cycles for uh, approving the codes. Is it that just because they're serving so many potential uh, vendors that there's, there's that much interest in this space? Uh, I think there is a lot of growing interest, and the problem is I don't think they've really expanded their infrastructure for it. Now, recently, right. uh, Sprint went through a revamping, but we submitted uh, one of our proposals on, like, December 12th or 13th of uh, 2007. I said, oh, we're on a, a one-month hiatus for, you know, the holidays. And it's like, all right, nice. well, so I had to wait till mid-January before we got to, them to approve it. But they actually came out with a brand-new system that allows it to be approved a lot faster. So I think some of the carriers are starting to realize that there's more and more interest. Like I mentioned, there's 500 codes registered right now, and I would say – at least 300 of those 500 codes are owned by radio stations. So, I mean, and you can actually go, if you go to usrcodes.com, really? you can do an advanced search and click on company names, start with all, and there's a little link for all, and you can just you know, scroll through them and say, who owns the codes? And uh, you can, so, it, it, can you wow. imagine a, a, a web, uh, what it would look like, a web page where you could just scroll through who owns every single domain? I mean, it makes no sense at all. There's billions of them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely such a new concept of using it uh, text messaging for anything other than purchasing ringtones and things that, that the carriers have done themselves. Well, there's a job for Link. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about working with Open Market as a, as a gateway to all of the carriers, but you're also trying to work with the individual carriers as well? Uh, well, you actually submit the program summary. It gets approved by your gateway, and then your gateway negotiates with each individual carrier. Right. So, but you still have to sort of deal with them on a little bit of a you know a, a tangential level. So, uh, but then it kind of makes sense to me that Verizon would just sign off on them. If it's good enough for the gateway, it's good enough for us, kind of thing. Exactly. I mean, and there's and of course the thing about it is though is they're not just shooting you off into the ether and saying go do whatever you want. They reserve the right to audit you at any point in time, or if they get a complaint, they know they can just shut you down. And so uh, if you say. You know, uh, you know, if, if you say you're going to run a, a chat service and that chat turns a little bit too much like porn, and you know, then they can just turn you off. And, and so, uh, uh, it, it's, it's, you know, you definitely have to stay on your toes. Uh, you know, for instance, that you're not allowed to. If you've ever sent a lot of newsletters out, you know, you've got uh, most people don't really care if they're sending emails to a lot of dead email addresses. They just send them off, send them off, and whatever right. they get bounced. You know, no big deal. Well, the cell phone carriers every four hours send out or they update their canceled number list. 
And with a canceled number, if you send more than one text message to a canceled number list, it's up to $10,000 fine per incident. So, you know, they, they take it very seriously. So what uh, one of the services that Open Market has provided to me is they monitor the, uh, you know, the dead phone number list for me so that if I try to send uh, a message to one of those um you know, to one Dead of those numbers, numbers then, then they actually swallow it, and they don't, and they send a message back to me saying, "Hey, don't do that again." And huh. so, at least it prevents me from getting fined because uh, that, that's uh, yeah. that can be pretty traumatic uh, if that happened too and much. And expensive. So, how are you writing the code against Open Market? Open Market uh, has three different ways to interact with their system. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know the first one is uh, you know they have sort of an SDK that you can. Uh, you know, that you can use, and the SDK. Unfortunately, they've got a Java one and a PHP one and a Perl one, and and so they really didn't have uh, a .NET one, which was you know a little bit upsetting to me. But uh, so we uh, the second way is uh, you know you can just do XML over HTTP, which is really the same as using their SDK because their SDK is just okay. We've just wrapped. Uh, the XML over HTTP, we just wrap that in a bunch of objects and given it to you. But you can actually, they uh, uh, allow you to go directly against uh, the service. And you call it XML over HTTP. It's not actually web service? It is not a web service. It is it is actually just a post it to this URL and in the post value. Well, in the post value, you're posting XML. So, oh. you know, in the post body. But it's, uh, it's not... Um, not SOAP. It's not, you know, soap, it's, you know, no whistle, no anything else like that. It's just, uh, um, you know, they actually uh, have their own protocol called the wireless messaging protocol. And it sounds awfully industry standard, but it's really just open market standard. So, we'll okay. see. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if any other gateways have adopted it just through, uh, you know, just through. Uh, no, wait a minute. I got it. Whimsy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, it's it basically, you know, I don't know, through osmosis, maybe some of the other gateways have adopted it because it's uh, it's relatively uh, uh, powerful. But well, you know, the, the third way that you can uh, uh, interact with it is through the, the short message peer-to-peer protocol, and or SMPP, and that's, uh, you know, a direct bind into the, the protocol. And that, you maintain an open connection at all times for when you're sending messages, but oddly enough, you get less throughput using that than you do with... Uh, the XML over HTTP. So uh, the way they've got it set up, uh, you know, one of the advantages of using SMPP is that you, uh, if your connection gets broken, you you know immediately, and so you can sort of, you know, the the, the fail safes are a little bit better. But the XML over HTTP, which is what we're using, um, is a little bit better for performance. So and it, you know the, the the gateways can you know they maintain their own binds with each individual carrier. So when you send it to, uh, like when I send it to Open Market, they have a, a direct bind to each one of the carriers, and so they can send the message along, and they can process you know thirty forty messages a second. So it's uh, you know fairly robust, uh, you know how much they can process. But uh, we use XML over HTTP, and we didn't you know they didn't have an SDK, so we went ahead and built our own, uh, you know using .NET. And why not? And it's got a request object and response object and, you know, an SMS object that has some static methods like send message. So essentially you new up uh, uh, an SMS request object, which we created, and you set uh, some properties like, uh, you know, for instance, let me go over here. You'll, you'll set like the, the source carrier, and the source carrier is a, is a number, uh, a numbered code 
you know, for instance, uh, T-Mobile is 79, and you know, uh, I think uh, AT&T is 238, and uh, you uh, set uh, the the, type, the source type of number, which is either a network short code or uh, you know a standard number, depending on what what type of number you're sending from. You set up the destination carrier and the destination address, which is uh, uh, you know the phone number you're sending it to, and then uh, fill in the message and send it off. Now, if you're, uh, the message can be either plain text or you can be hex encoded. And of course, if you're sending something like a ringtone or an image, then you would hex encode it versus, uh, uh, sending it through, uh, you know, standard, uh, ASCII text. Hmm. So why do you need to know the source carrier? Uh, so, uh, the, the, the phone that you're sending to processes that. So, right. Uh, okay. You know, so they, they, you know, they want to know if they won't process it through unless you specify it. And the gateway and doesn't you, test out that information. What we've got is we've got this object and we pack it all up and then we have an SMS object and we say send SMS and we pass in that request object and it turns all of those properties into uh, a big XML node with a bunch of sub elements that, uh, you know, that define all those different things I just mentioned. And then it sends it across the wire and what it gets back is a response that says either, uh, you know, no, it didn't work, and this is why it didn't work. Or it gives you a status code uh, that said it works, and here's the uh, here's the ticket ID for that particular message that you sent across the wire. And when you post it, you post it with uh, an ID and a password that's specific to you, so you can send it over SSL if you you know don't want people you know sniffing your uh, uh, your uh, ID and password and, and using it for nefarious purposes. So, John, but, do you allow your your uh, do you, do you give away your code? <laughs> or is this just part of your proprietary software? Oh, that would, uh, oh, you mean the the the, the, the source wrapper. code? Yeah, the wrapper um, around the source code. Yeah, by by the time you uh, you know this this show is uh, on the air, we'll probably be pretty ready to release that uh, that SDK. We're we're making some like right now we're making some enhancements to it to do some more uh, interesting things. Because for instance, there's multiple types of uh, requests that you can make. One is called a submit, meaning I'm just sending a message. And, uh, you know, some of the other ones that you, uh, you can do are, uh, uh, like, uh, query, which is if you send a query request, it's like saying, whatever happened to that, you know, message with the ticket ID, you know, it's a big GUID looking thing. And then there's also preview, and you can send a preview on a number. And so you say you don't know the carrier for a particular number, you can send a preview request over, and it'll, uh, do a lookup and send it back to you and say, hey, this is, uh, uh, you know, this phone number is with this carrier. Here's an approximate GPS location for them. Here's, uh, uh, which is not as fun as it sounds. You know, it's, uh, more of here's a, here's a GPS location of wherever they registered their phone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Or, or whatever tower, you know, cell tower they're using. So it's not extremely accurate. But it even lets you know that if the person uh, switched from a different carrier, which I thought is a little bit of a privacy thing, but, uh, you know, it'll actually tell you if you've uh, transmitted or if you've uh, trans if you bought a new iPhone and you uh, <laughs> you transferred from Verizon to AT and T. It'll tell you that in mm-hmm. the in the preview uh, function. And then those are the three going out. And then coming in are uh, you know deliver and notify, which are um, you know delivers the message that comes to you. It says, hey, this message was delivered, which is only supported by a couple of carriers. And then notifies uh, something where it'll tell you. Hey, this number is no longer valid, or something like that. If you yeah. try to do something that, uh, you know, send a message to a number that uh, is no longer valid on that carrier. So we're we're making some enhancements to our library to make sure that we handle all the different scenarios as well as doing MMS messaging. And will the library be free? 
I, I can't imagine. It, it'll either be free or it'll be possibly negligible. Yeah. You know, it, it's, uh, you know, I would say it's probably 50-50 between being free or being something negligible, like, you know, Shipping less costs than $50. Well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, oh, okay. uh, it's definitely uh, uh, not something we're looking to get rich on, you know, something that we built out of necessity because we didn't want to have to deal with uh, XML parsing all the time. And so, you know, that library that we built is for sending the messages out and then... You know, what happens when the carrier wants to send you something? What they do is they do the exact same thing. Unfortunately, they won't call one of your web services either. So right. <laughs> really what ends up happening is, is they want to post it to a URL, and so the best way to do that we found in ASP.NET is just uh, to build a, an HTTP handler. And so you give them a URL to an ASPX page, or and then, uh, you know, they, they call that, and your HTTP handler grabs it, and they there's a big block uh, posted value called uh, XML. And you'll grab that, and we've got a uh, you know an object, uh, you know a request object. Also, if you feed it the XML for the call that's coming in, it'll parse it out and you know populate all the properties and and say here's uh, here's all the stuff and you know all, everything coming in. And one of the neat things, uh, well, one of the one of the unfortunate things about uh, dealing with short codes is that they even charge you to test it. So we've got a uh, a test code, and uh, the test number, when you send messages, I mean, first of all, they charge you $450 a month just to maintain a test account. You know, this can't be used for production, only for testing. It's like $450 a month. And not only that, it's uh, $450 a month plus messaging fees. So you have to buy message credits. Wait, wait, wait. And that's just for the test service? Yes, that's just for the test service. Oh, man. So... I- the phone companies are amazing, aren't they? No, Holy cow, well, they, what a scam. Well, see, that's, yeah, that's the gateway, and apparently because the phone companies are charging the gateway, the gateway has to pass it along to you. Right. And uh, what they do that to, you know, to stem the cost a little bit, I mean, they still charge you to 450 but it's, the reason it's not even more than that is because they'll let more than one person share the same testing short code. Mm. Uh, so, for instance, anytime I want to send a message to, my, to the test short code, I'll have to prefix the message with a secret code, and then I'll have my real message after that. And so when the gateway receives that message, they know which you know, HTTP handler to route it to. So what we did to get around that a little bit is we built a, um, a, uh, a host. So it's, uh, think of it as kind of like... Uh, Kind of like Rhino mocks for SMS, and so it, uh, except, it's, <laughs> except instead of mocking it, it actually implemented it. It's, uh, it, it's it's faking out the whole system such that it will take. It looks exactly like you're sending an SMS message out, but it intercepts it and just routes it to a local HTTP handler or wherever you want to catch it. And so you can test out your whole process unlimited with uh, without having any short code or anything at all, hmm. and uh, and sort of practice everything and getting it all squared away before you go ahead and take the plunge and, and pay all the money. Hmm. So uh, that's, uh, you know, we thought that was a, a kind of a cool uh, kind of a cool way to sort of get in the game. And what we'll do is we'll make that available as well. So if people want to download uh, our library and sort of play around with it, and then they also want to, uh, you know, play around with our, with our test carrier, they don't have to pay the $450 a month. They can just sort of wire up our whole little infrastructure and, and test it out and play around with it and, Decide if they want to really uh, make the investment, because once you make the investment, and you get a live code. Then uh, you know a live code is uh, starts at fifteen hundred a month. So. Yeah, then the bell. Yeah, the, the ticker's now running, and you better be making money on it. So where are we going to be able to get yeah, this from? That was my next question. Where can we Where can we download this when it comes out? 
Uh, my company uh, website, my consulting company, ASPsoft, has a, uh, a downloads uh, page, and so we'll probably make it available through that. Okay, so, ASPsoft.com. Uh, yeah, ASPsoft.com, and we have a downloads link, and you can just go there, and it's, uh, you know, uh, talks about some different things, uh, you know, that we do, and so we'll just make it available through uh, through that. But I think, you know, once we get it, you know, really uh, stabilized, we'll, we'll release that, and uh, hopefully that's uh, pretty soon, because we're going to be uh, launching our product which uh you know I'll I'll talk briefly about but you know we had the uh you know the way, what we wanted to do is we wanted to build some software around text messaging and we preferred to um find a problem and implement a solution rather than come up with a solution and then go around looking uh for a problem and uh which it happens all too often uh these days um what we decided was that uh when people go out and they go somewhere, like they go out to a restaurant and, you know, they pass by it on the road and they're like, man, you know, I'd like to go there and eat, but, you know, I have a coupon and I have a coupon at home and, you know, just idealistically, I can't, I can't bring myself to eat at that restaurant knowing I have a coupon sitting at home. And uh, so the, that sprung the idea of creating a system whereby it used your cell phone to uh, act as the medium for which you receive coupons. Now, that in and of itself is not revolutionary because there's a couple of other services out there that will uh, allow companies to send uh, uh, coupons. And uh, our spin on it, though, is that each one of these establishments, uh, we install a PDA that has a Wi-Fi link to uh, to uh, a web service that we have implemented. And so when you go into the store... You can actually punch in your coupon code, and it will display what the coupon is for, thereby allowing the store vendor to track the success of their campaigns uh, from start to finish. So, uh, you know, we call the service uh, PlumReward.com, and so uh, that should be live by the time this show goes live. And uh, we're uh, beta testing it at a couple of uh, smoothie shops. I don't know how popular smoothies are up in uh, the Northeast, but we love smoothies. But down here in uh, down here in Florida, smoothies are huge, and uh, Planet Smoothie is uh, the king of smoothie companies. They've got about uh, sixty or seventy stores down here in Florida, yeah. and so we're going to be beta testing with them. And so uh, you know, hopefully, it'll be uh, successful. People will go in and uh, and uh, you know sign up to when you go in there. And you, essentially, it's a loyalty system that uh that goes with you everywhere. Wow. So your cell phone number becomes your loyalty card instead of having to carry a loyalty card or one of those little keychain fobs Sweet. or everything else. So you just go in, you punch in your your uh cell phone number and it tracks that you did your visit and the store owner can see who their best customers are and send them out wonderful coupons and you come back and you enter it in there and then uh everybody uh, can keep track of it with reports and sounds fun uh, and delicious. That's sort of a sort of our idea, but you know, but really, uh, uh, through this whole process, we discovered that uh, not too many people are building any kind of software at all using text messaging, and the reason we know that is because we had to deal directly with the carriers to get our short code approved, and when we handed them our program summary, they had no idea what we were doing. It seems like a great business case just for simple notification of problems that require your immediate attention, you know, especially for you know critical systems. Funny you should mention that, Carl. I worked on a project a number of years ago. I would literally say 2000, where we were doing exactly that, using SMS to notify when servers were down. 
uh, in faraway locations. How about medical? And right? uh, interesting enough, we had a bug in the very first version, and in our test run, sent 30,000 SMSs to one oh, phone number. Oh, dude. And, of course, back then in 2000, there wasn't a nice interface for handling SMS. You literally would say, SMS arrived. You would then select it and say, read SMS. It would show it to you, and then you had to individually delete it. So the moment we realized what was happening, and it kept happening and stopped it, there was already 30,000 in the system. Yeah. And we had to get on the phone and get all the way through to the carrier to say, can you empty that out, please? <laughs> well, I could see so, if it gets more reliable, it could take the place of pager uh, protocols. Well, that, that's exactly what we were thinking. Yeah. But, of course, that time, it was so early on in the SMS days that nobody hated it yet. There was no punishment for that. <laughs> the carrier didn't care. You know, they, they laughed at us and cleaned it up. But it, just thinking about trying to do something like that today, yeah. no way. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know... And extremely, you know, the, you know, the, the, the people are, you know, are, are a little bit unfriendly about it. And, you know, we had, uh, we ran into some, uh, some different problems because, you know, these people, they looked at our program and they said, so, so, uh, what are you selling? We said, well, we're not really selling anything, you know. I said, well, how much are you charging to receive the messages? And we're like, well, we're not charging anything. Well, we're, we're charging, you know, the Planet Smoothie guy to send out the coupons and have our service and our PDA installed in the store, but we're not going to charge you to receive a coupon other than whatever your carrier charges you to receive a text message if you're not on an unlimited plan. And so, well, what ringtones are you selling? You know, what are we voting for? And so they had this this idea in their head of here's the, you know, here's the the, the six or seven things that text messages are used for, and they right. they had no concept of using text messages for real software. Yeah, and and this is coming straight from the carriers who have to approve everybody. So it, it was just odd to see that that uh, not as not that many people are really uh, taking advantage of text messaging. Now you've got some there's some severe limitations because uh, things that you have to think about. For instance, there's no concept of history. So you get fooled when you buy an iPhone and they you get the uh, you know threaded chat conversation or threaded uh, SMS conversations. But in reality, all that's doing is just stitching it together at the client side, saying, oh, this, you know, another text message came in from this number, so I'm going to stitch it at the end. Right. In reality, it's not keeping track of any history. So when you, when you send a text message into, you know, our number, we don't know whether you're, whether you respond. If I send you two messages and you respond back to one, I don't know which one you responded to. Yeah, it's purely state management. But you know, I, I think you got a great idea here, John. I'm just imagining, a restaurant could take advantage of this with your regular customers just to say, hey, for you today, 10% off the meal. If you come in today, give me this code. Yeah, exactly. We've got, you know, analytics that can say, you know, they, they can, uh, you know, that can tell you when your slow periods are, when people are coming, when they're not coming. And so you can actually say, come. And the coupons, uh, what makes the coupons powerful is that uh, you, they can be time sensitive so that you can say this coupon is only good on Thursday between 4 and 6 p.m., Whereas right. before, uh, you know, otherwise you can't really do that with a message with a coupon that arrives on your phone, and they have no way of validating it because the guy behind the register he's not going to know. He's he's not going to know. And but now I could see why you're sensitive to delivery time. Exactly. That, if that thing doesn't show up for a day, now you've upset your. You customer. guys realize what you're saying, dude? You realize that you're planning spamming people, dude? You know this is not good. It's all totally I want off this phone to read my mind. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, it's completely, you know, and that's and that's one of the things where you are allowed to send one text man. We had and we actually had to negotiate this cuz technically it, the rule is zero. You're not allowed to send you're allowed to send zero unsolicited text messages to somebody. But we convinced the carriers to allow us to send one. 
And, uh, you know, you're allowed to say one message, or we're allowed to send one message, and then they have to reply back saying that they agree to it, and then we have to send a confirmation back to them. And so, you know, even, so for instance, if I go into Planet Smoothie and I buy a smoothie and I give your cell phone number, then it's going to send one text message to you saying, do you want to sign up to receive coupons and everything else? And if you just ignore it, you're not going to get anything else. And so that prevents right. the whole uh, signing other people up for uh, newsletters. Kind this of thing that, is that your last warning. <laughs> we are going to go away. We promise. If you do not act now. Yeah, exactly. So, and then we'll you know, change we, we our proceed. name under another business and send you another message. <laughs> yes, we certainly don't want to become the spam kings of uh, you know, of SMS. Yeah, you got to be careful uh, there. We we definitely only want people associated with it if they want to be. Right. And, and at the end of the day, it's a loyalty system based on your uh, sure your phone number, even if you decide that you don't want to uh, receive the text message coupon. Well, Jonathan, uh, yeah. we're just about out of time, so uh, this was a great show, and and I, I I'm looking forward to your toolkit because I can find some uses for it right away. I mean, just as you were talking about it. I've got several places where I want to put this. Yeah, and it's you know, like I said, you know, the the real really the key to it though is the fact that we've implemented this uh, this testing framework for it. So really, it allows people that say, well, you know, I'm really interested in how this SMS thing works, or at least how Open Market has implemented it, mm. and uh, you know, with the terminology, and you can download all the the documents for how everything works, and, and then just use uh, uh, our toolkit to uh, you know to sort of simulate it and and. Sort of increase your knowledge without having to fork over, uh, you know, thousands of dollars a month yeah. in order to reserve yeah. codes and uh, <laughs> and uh, and get everything. Yeah, John, going. you definitely lowered the bar on the cost of testing this yep. way. That we can anybody can test anything they want until they've got some confidence in what they're doing, and then talk to the carrier. That's cool, exactly. And you know, just a little bit of advice is to, to give yourself about two months to uh, To get all this stuff in place once you decide to say go. This is not something you can just heck, come up with something on a whim and uh, and decide that you know tomorrow I'm going to throw up a website and next week I'm going to be ready to go. It actually takes close mm-hmm. to two months to get all this stuff squared away, and it's really frustrating mm-hmm. uh, to to get everything going. But uh, you know it's worth it once you get everything set up. But you know you definitely need to. Uh, plan ahead. Don't don't leave this as the last step in your process because uh, they don't charge you the huge money. You know you only have to pay the four or five hundred dollars a month while you're mm-hmm. in the application process. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is I guess you know if you're going to start up a business, that's just the cost of doing business. But uh, right, All right. And, and it's you know the sad part is once you get everything live, you have to maintain the test code as well because otherwise, what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to test. You're going to stage and test your new builds of your software using your live code. I mean, you can't do that. Right. So, I mean, you end up, essentially, you end up having to pay the, the $1,500 a month for the, for the, uh, your live code, plus another 500 for your test code, plus 500 a month for your short code. So you're, I mean, you're, you're out, you know, many a thousand dollars just to, just to send know, some messages around. <laughs> just to get it around. But, you know, I think that there's a lot of innovative opportunities, people that feel that they've missed the boat when it can when it comes with uh, you know the web and email and other things that, that, that people did innovative things with. There's a lot. You know, it's it's still pretty wild west when it comes to, to text messaging because there's a lot of text messages going around, but they're all doing the same thing. There's mm. so many ideas out there that haven't been explored. Yeah, and, no innovation. Yeah, it, it's really. Uh, uh, they said that in the United States there were there were like seven billion messages in you know March alone or something or wow. February alone that. Uh, they were sent through text messages, but you know, but it's all just you know people talking to other people or people voting on American Idol and people. Mm-hmm. There's really nothing innovative going on aside from, like I said, Twitter. I mean, Twitter is the the uh, the apex of innovation for SMS. Which in Twitter is a great application. I have nothing against it, but it's not hugely innovative. 
Yeah. Still trying to figure out how Twitter makes money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I, I'm a little curious on that as well, but uh Yeah. You know, there's there's they're definitely hemorrhaging money when it comes to uh, you know, messaging costs, but uh Yeah. Like I said, there are some maximums that you can achieve, you know, when, once you send a certain amount of messages, they let you have the rest of them for free, which I'm sure they're hitting, but uh mm. you know, it's uh but it's you know, it's definitely an interesting landscape because there's just so um you know, you feel like the days back when the .NET framework first came out and people were just exploring and the framework and figuring out, oh, here's a new class that does something cool. And, and so every time uh, we think about text messaging, you know, when we're having our, our design meetings, you're just like, oh, here's another cool thing that we could do with it. And so we've got mm. probably on our plate, we've got a dozen different uh, business ideas that we want to try out. And, and so it's, it's exciting. Kind of, the hardest part is just deciding what you want to do, not uh, uh, not actually doing it. Very exciting stuff. Jonathan, thanks very much. This is great. I can't wait to use it. Great, great. I appreciate uh, you having me on the show. Oh, you bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, Go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.